It seems like every day on this podcast, I am mentioning how powerful the internet has been for connecting with the creatives that inspire you, for connecting with artists that uh, you look up to, and for folks that you want to collaborate with. I mean, if it wasn't for the internet, if it wasn't for Instagram, I wouldn't be booking half the guests that I get on this show. Um, and today, I'm excited because I get to not only have an acclaimed comic book artist, comic book writer, uh, an artist that has influenced major Hollywood movies, um, but also an older friend of mine, someone that I actually haven't sat in the room and had a conversation with, and God, it's been a, like at least 10 years, and someone that I met online initially. I met today's guest years and years ago um, because I was a huge fan of his work, and this was prior to Instagram, and he just happened to have an email on his website, and I, I sent him an email. And we started a conversation. I sent him some work. He liked my work. I talked about the work that he did and how much I liked that. And that conversation went on for a few years. And then we hit a point where I said to him, look, I'm, I'm filming things. I'm trying out this new theory on documentaries. And I wanted to try out this style of documentary. Like, uh, essentially what we were doing was uh, just recording interviews. We weren't videotaping those interviews. And then in the restrictions of just a recorded interview, we would go out and shoot supplemental material. And these small pieces never had sync audio. You never saw the subject's mouth moving with the sound. And so it forced me to be creative, think visually on a documentary piece, which I really liked. And for years, I used to do this with my old business partner. We did stuff for Fightland, for Vice. Uh, the series became much bigger things. Uh, he ended up developing that series, that uh, technique into feature film work. I use some of that technique into some of the feature film work that I've done in the past. Um, so it's been great. And honestly, I'm super excited. If you guys didn't see my post, I don't know why I haven't talked about this before, but it uh, turns out I, we were nominated for an Emmy. I was nominated for an Emmy as a cinematographer for my friend Rudy Hippolyte's work. And his docuseries, he did a movie called This Ain't Normal, which I shot. Um, and that had a lot of the same techniques that I was practicing when I hung out with today's guest. So uh, I wrote to him and I said, hey, man, I would like to do this. And he was like, sure, come on by. And uh, this is back when I was living in Boston. So I drove to New York City, never met him in person before, and hung out with our guest today, Mr. Ben Templesmith. Now, I, for those of you who know who he is, you know him for... 30 Days of Night, right? That great horror movie that we've all seen, directed by David Slade. Uh, that was based upon Ben's book about a pack of vampires that came up with the idea to go to a small town, I think it was Barrow, Alaska, where the sun doesn't come up for a period of time and fucking just murder this town. It's a great horror book, fantastic horror comic book. And if you pick it up, which you should, or if you've read it before, you see Temple Smith's definitive style. He has this rough sketch, sharp, like the teeth of his characters feel like they're going to chew your hand off as you're turning the pages. And in his work with color. And in the beginning, he was using computer color and he was doing these washes, all these different techniques that I was also doing in video work and film work. 
and on our music videos and stuff. He was a big influence on how I processed a lot of my color. And we really connect on the show. We talk about that stuff. Um, but let's let's run through his credit list. 30 Days a Night. Yes. Uh, Wormwood. Fantastic fucking horror book. Love that book. Uh, ben is very influenced by uh, the Cthulhu stories, right? He's got a lot of tentacles. He's got some ladies with tentacles. When him and I worked together, uh, I did that short film that I... It wasn't even short. It was just a small little piece that I did called The Squid King, which he defined himself as. Uh, he also has the Squid Army, which is the group of fans that support him. Uh, and he draws like custom books and, and very small runs of uh, books specifically for his Patreon fans, which is the Squid Army, which I'm excited about. Um, but he's done a lot of work for like DC. He did Gotham by Midnight. Great fucking series. Um, but then he's been self-publishing for years, which is really cool. The fact that he figured out how to survive as an artist by feeding his fans directly, which is nice to hear, being someone that tries to do the same thing. And he's been successful for quite some time with it. Done books. Um, he's got a bunch of really great books coming out. Dark Skulls, uh, Flash Kill, all sorts of good stuff. And we're going to talk about it on the show today. I'm excited. For those of you who have never met him before, I'm excited to introduce you to Ben. He's got a great sense of humor. You'll you'll see that it it feels like we just hung out yesterday. A whole lot of laughs, a whole lot of giving each other shit. It's a good episode. So strap yourselves in. In the meantime, I want to welcome you. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mike Petchy, and you are listening to my podcast. It's called In Love With The Process. Uh, welcome. Take a seat. Get ready. Sit down. Grab a beer. Ben's going to be here in a minute. And we're all going to hang out. You're going to be part of a conversation between two old buds. Um, in the meantime, I want to thank everybody that has been following me on Instagram at MyPetchy or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I apologize for the lack of posts on my podcast Instagram because I'm being spanked for some reason. I'm being spanked on that one. Like, they're upset with me for some reason. I don't know. I followed a couple new folks on that one, and I don't know what happened. Now they're like, you can't post, you can't follow, you can't do shit. What the fuck, Instagram? That's the purpose of it, right? That's the purpose of it. These rules that these corporations set into place on these things, and then they break the rules, or they, they provide you with the opportunity to pay to be able to do those things, which drives me nuts. They've been giving my buddy Rick Darge a lot of shit lately. Um, and yes, Rick is making some funny content that is, you know, edgy. And it's playing on the uh, the outskirts of popular opinion. But he's got a lot of real fucking talent in the work that he's putting up there right now. And they're fucking giving him shit. This whole fucking social censorship thing is like really fucking dangerous. They're, you're allowed to have other viewpoints on things. You're allowed to be friends that... Vote for people that you would never vote for. You're allowed to interact and support folks that do things that you necessarily wouldn't do. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that their skills aren't on point. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be allowed to show their shit. That's kind of what this country is built upon. Everything that we love in this country is often, not even often, everything we love in this country has been built by someone breaking the fucking rules and taking advantage of something and making it for themselves. Everything we use. 
all of it is that. But anyway, that's, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. I'm excited for today's episode. I'm excited for you guys to hang out with Ben and get to know him the way that I know him. So let's get right to it. Strap yourselves in, turn up those noise-canceling headphones, grab a beer, and get ready to disappear into the world of the Squid King on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. It has been so long, dude. Hi, and welcome to the show. How are you, dude? I'm all right. I thought you were avoiding me this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I be avoiding I'm kidding. You? I just wanted to come out with something in, uh, <laughs> unexpected, shall we say. <laughs> How's life, dude? Well, how it's are been you? a very long time. I know. Dude. It's been, I don't know how many fucking years. It's been at least, It's uh, is it 10 years? It's been a while. I don't even remember how I met you, except that uh, we ended up. You want you wanted to do a, a little video on like mm-hmm. me walking the streets of New York City or something, and it was like it was nice. It was except I should have had a haircut, but uh, I think your hair looked great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then no. we've vaguely been you know around ever since. Yeah, man. We I see you see your life on uh, Instagram, especially. Yes, sir. Really nice. Thank you. You go from strength to strength, man. Thank you. Like. Uh, We've, uh, I forget, I think we met over the internet initially and then we hung out and spent a day together. And I did, this was back when I was doing like little short, uh, what do you call them? We called them living image or living, I think we called them living images, but they were just like these little docks. And then we hung out. Yeah, it, was, and it was fun, dude. We built the couch, to, uh, built the couch together, didn't we? <laughs> did you build my, my couch? We, we, you got a, uh, didn't I sleep on your couch? Did, wasn't that what happened? I oh, can't probably. remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happened. That was the, the New York apartment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, may, you may have I think done we, it just as I was moving in. Yeah. yeah, I think we built the couch together. I think that was the first thing we did. <laughs> well, that that's how friendships are made. That's, that's how <laughs> men uh, <laughs> uh, become men uh, together. <laughs> Build furniture. That's right, dude. It's right. It's been it's been too long. I think we've been keeping in touch. Do you you did a sketch for me when I was doing the twelve uh, km? Um, what is it? The oh fucking- yeah, yeah, I remember that. Everything's coming back slowly. I need memory triggers because yeah, my memory hard. is shot usually. And I, no offense to anyone, but I've met an awful lot of people over the years now. I don't know how anyone. I don't have a photographic <laughs> memory like that. I can remember faces. 
if I remember your 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 name as well as a face, you're that's really big. <laughs> uh, you know, and I've I've lived in like five places. I've I've moved every two years on average in America. So everything is it's crazy confused. <laughs> it's crazy because you were we met in New York and then out. you you went to Chicago, right? You were in Chicago for a while. Yeah, well, I split my time for a while, and then I moved there properly yep. for a few years. Then moved to Seattle for five years, and then just moved to San Diego. Oh, yeah. So, you're, you're and I, right. moved, I lived in San Diego previously to that, too. So I've lived everywhere but the South and New England. So, Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, you're I'm tired. I want to stay in one place for a while. <laughs> so is San Diego like a roots for you? Are you going to stick around there now, or what's up? Uh, you want the truth or you want the lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Whatever. from Australia, so um, – I have an appreciation for seasons now and for cold weather and snow because uh-huh. in Australia, when it rains, you cry tears of joy. So right, San right. Diego is very, very not my weather, but yeah. I'm here because, uh, especially, you know, my partner, my wife, she really likes the warmer weather. She's a Cali girl. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but I don't, I mean, San Diego is one of the nicer places in SoCal. So it's, uh, there are worse places to be. So I quite like it. Don't get me wrong. It's just the weather. I just, I need some colder weather sometimes. I'm with you. So I'll hopefully travel a bit for it. I'm with you. I'm with you, dude. hundred percent. Like being from East coast and then my girlfriend's the same way where she's like, it's fucking freezing. The, the coldest that it's been here in LA, it's been chilly, but it's like fifties, mid fifties or something like that. Yeah. Same with San Diego, except you get a bit hotter, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it this way. I, I do conventions in Fairbanks, Alaska <laughs> because I like the weather. In February, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Before I, the world shut down, I miss it too. You still got that? You still rocking the beard that I knew from years ago? Or are you clean shaven these days? No, I, I have the beard. Yeah, okay. I'll never good. get rid of the beard. Good, yeah. Beard culture, man. <laughs> Unless, except for surgery. I'll do it for surgery. Medical things. So you've been super busy. I mean, first off, I've always been a fan of your work, and we know this. You know, we'll do. Well, thank little- you for your bad taste in art. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> we'll do a little ego stroking here. I've always been a fan of your stuff, and uh, I think I first found you, obviously, like so many people did, with the 30, 30 Days a Night series and and all of that, which was amazing. Well, thank and- you. And then, um, you know, since then, all the stuff that you've done, like Welcome to Oxford, the Wormwood series, and even the Gotham by Midnight series, I thought that was such a great, uh, cool series. And, and what I love about your work okay. is that it's definitively you. At this point, your style, your aesthetic, your tone, your mood, when you pick up any of these books, it feels like you. So uh, I just wanted to, you know, Aww. like I said, give you a pat on the back again. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean... For better or worse, uh, me is me, I guess. Yeah, I can't help it. I couldn't ape someone else's style too much, if, uh, if even if I tried. So, yeah, it, it works for some people. So, well, for the audience, for the for the audience that's just getting to know you on the show here, how'd you get it? How'd yeah. you get into comic books initially? What what was what was comic books for you? What was comic books for me? Mm. Like the ones I would read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, how did you get into it initially? That was a real shitty question. How did you originally uh, get into comic books? Well, well, he is – okay, so <laughs> my grandfather was a printer. Uh-huh. And he'd always have a huge stock of like these offcuts, uh, 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 these long strips of paper mm-hmm. uh, at his house. And whenever I'd go over, they were just made to tell like stories horizontally. So I just – and I liked – 
I, don't, uh, I got a couple of comics as a kid, as very young kid. I forget what one was a giant sized uh, uh, Fantastic Four. Anyway, so I understood that you could tell words and pictures, and I liked ca- cartoon stories as well, like uh, like the newspaper ones, you know, like oh, actual yeah, yeah, cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like yeah Sunday, so I Sunday. started drawing little strips on these strips of paper and yeah. uh, realized I liked telling stories, so kept at it, and I liked art. Um, uh, art didn't choose me. No, I didn't choose art. Art chose me. Everyone else stops drawing when they're a kid, most people. But yep. the artists keep going, so I just did that. And uh, then I got into real comics, buying them on my own. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, X-Men's pretty cool. Conan the Barbarian's pretty cool. <laughs> so, like, you can do it. a lot of things on paper. So, yeah, I just stuck with it, kept at it. Uh, and the magic of the internet some people saw my work and said, Hey, you should try out for this. And so I did. And I got a job nice, <laughs> twice. Nice. <laughs> I broke in twice, but only one of it saw print. So, Oh, nice. So I guess I wasn't too bad. So yeah. And then after that, um, uh, the first comic I completely finished the story of, which was 30 days of night, obviously it got a movie deal and it got turned into a movie. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, the movie itself is one thing it didn't even have to have gotten made because the, the news of the film option back then, this is before Marvel DC stuff ever became movies. Mm-hmm. Well, real, real movies, shall we say, um, uh, was big news. So I immediately got a profile from that and I never had to look for work ever since. That's crazy. So, That's crazy. Yeah. I got lucky. Yeah. I mean, but you make your own luck because I did half of that, most of that book for free. Um, yeah, cause yeah. the sales weren't there until the movie made it huge. The movie news made it huge. So it paid off. Hard work paid off. Yeah. How was what was your experience with the mo- with the movie? Were you involved with them at all, or was it like, hey, thanks uh, for the idea? I, we'll see you. I learned. <laughs> I learned <laughs> through that experience that you really need people representing your own interests. Uh-huh. Um, but because it was my first thing, I was nobody, and I was still living in Australia, so mm-hmm. uh, I was just happy to sign whatever, and and had no bargaining power anyway because my name was Mud. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so the movie thing happened. It went into development, and um, uh, I got some nice monies. Mm-hmm. Not life-changing money, but, uh, you know, a nice chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, then what happened? Well, I didn't hear much uh, until the, bless him, uh, editor-in-chief, I believe, at the time yep. uh, of the comic company, who was this was all through pretty much. You know, the comic company was the, the people behind the scenes and negotiating and doing all the Hollywoody stuff. Right. So right, right, right. He emailed me and said, Hey, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods being New Zealand, um, which is eight hours flight for me from where I am in Australia. Um, I'm going to be going to the movie set. Uh, do you want to come? Um, Cause he had to, he was going to write an article for wizard magazine. If anyone remembers wizard magazine, it was yes. a huge thing for comics back in the day yeah, before yeah. the internet took over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, uh, are you kidding? Yes, I will fly out there. Um, I would like to go to the set of my movie. <laughs> um, and it was pretty late in the process. So, but we got there, had a great time, caught up with him. And to this day, he's one of the solid good people. He's not with that company anymore anyway, but, um, yeah. Met, met the director. Yeah. That uh, was, uh, David's, wife. that was David Slade, right? I think he directed. David Slade. Yep. He was hot off. I believe he was hot off hard candy at that point. Yes, um, I think so. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he'd done anything between them but um and it was before twilight which we won't go into but (laughs) um 
He betrayed everything. No, he didn't. Uh, he just, <laughs> well, he made he up for it. He went to the other vampires, that's all. Uh, he, he made up for it a little bit because he also uh, set the tone for the Hannibal TV series, which I thought was fucking yes, great. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. His, his aesthetic uh, um, tastes are amazing. So yeah, yeah, He's the reason that film got made anyway. So I cannot sing his praises uh, high enough. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, I met him, met his lovely wife, um, met all the cast and crew. You know, uh, I actually feel like I got along and uh, wanted to know more from the crew rather than, I mean, the, uh, meeting a movie star is one thing. It's like, yes, it's very nice to meet you. I'm very intimidated. Uh, <laughs> you're also very tall. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, arm's length. It's not like I'm going to expect to be their best buddies or anything, but sure. I could ask real questions as a creative to the cast and crew and see how all that worked, especially David. Um, so it was a great experience. They liked me, so they invited me back again for the rap party. Nice. Uh, oh, I turned up. I turned up like a week late, apparently, to actually get a cameo in the movie, which would have been nice. But they were down to filming the small scenes. So, oh, that sucks. Man. But I did get to see the most expensive scene in the entire movie, where mm-hmm. they they crashed a uh, some sort of construction vehicle type thing into a into a building. So, oh right, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like a one take thing. So they were shitting themselves. It was amazing. So because <laughs> I think the whole budget for the thing was only like. Was it fifteen million or thirty million? I forget. One or the other. It was, yeah. it was a pretty small budget for what they did yeah. with it. So I got to see the whole process. All the comic pages were up in the costume department, and they were trying to match costumes to what I'd drawn. Which is, are you insane? Um, <laughs> uh, this place actually exists. You should probably use that place as the reference, not you know, not my version of their uniforms for the cops or anything. So, well, but that no, was really it. Was really good. Uh, you know, it made sense why they would do it. Like I said, it comes back to your aesthetic. It comes back to your tone and stuff. And was, I think it that, was very nice of them. Uh, yeah. And one one yeah. thing people I, probably never see in the movie is that they replicated the T-shirts I put on some of the vampires. Like I put graphics and wrote <laughs> things by hand on T-shirts. They they did that and put that on some of the characters in the movie. Oh, that's. But cool. I think it's too dark in the movie, and they're too small parts, so you won't actually see them. Oh. Look. But, uh, uh, that's cool that yeah, they no, did no. that. It's just like my handwriting's in the film, even if I'm not. <laughs> well, you're all over that movie, though, because when you watch that movie, it feels like the books, too, as much of an extent at that time period, when, with as far as the restrictions for uh, technology was concerned for that movie, it, it definitely felt uh, very much like your books. Uh, there are other comic book movies, love them, oh, love them or hate them, that I feel like got even cl- like a lot of Zack Snyder stuff early on. He was really focused on trying to make stuff match the comic panels, especially when you're talking like 300 and all those other movies. Uh, but this one, I thought, I really, I, I really love this movie. I thought that uh, David Slade was f- fucking fantastic in it, and then of course it's the books that I love that you did. So I, I still love that movie. I think it's a fun well, movie. Well, thank you. He definitely got the the color palette and everything. I. You know, if it had to be replicated on screen without being cartoonish, because my art's rather abstract, then mm-hmm. he would he he made it work. He mm-hmm. was great. I mean, he didn't go full Zack Snyder with any of that stuff either. So it because that would detract from the yeah yeah yeah, yeah the yeah. realness of it. So no, it was really good. So, so I can't be happier, and I can't complain because how many other how many people get a movie made out of their work in the first place? <laughs> I have no right to complain. Yeah, dude, it was great. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's cool, man. And so. Um, speaking of how abstract your art is, I think we, you and I probably talked about this 10 years ago, but let's talk about it again. How did you- A lot of heroin, a lot of heroin. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke. No, no drugs, except alcohol maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. So what is the process? How did you develop the it's such a stupid question, but how did you develop this style? Like what was what were your inspirations? And was there a calculated reason for you sketching the way that you sketch? Uh, there's two answers to that. Uh, and uh-huh. I think they apply to most things. Well, at least visually. Um, so style is, sti- my perspective is style is mistakes mm-hmm. that you keep because they still end up working. They're flaws, right? They're mm-hmm. flaws. Cause if we could, if I could draw the way I want, it would, in my head, it would probably be virtually, if there was no style, there, things would be photorealistic. They'd be very boring, but they, mm-hmm. they'd be as we see them. Mm-hmm. So style are, the, are those little mistakes, those little quirks that still work and you keep doing them because yeah, you can get away with it. It works and it slowly evolves over time. It's sort of a, an involuntary process um, of saying, well, it kind of looks good. It kind of looks okay. It's how I can get it out from my brain to my hand. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it keeps going that way. And of course, then you, you, especially early as you're learning and trying to be good quote unquote, <laughs> um, you wear your influences on your sleeve. So, so you, you mesh them with what you're trying to achieve yourself and your flaws along the way. And that becomes your style. So and the more you do, hopefully the more you grow and just it, the style becomes your own. So mm-hmm. me being quite derivative, at least initially, especially, uh, from people like Ashley Wood and Dave McKean, uh, Ralph Steadman and Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. If anyone knows who they are, yes, you should. Yes, yes. There's a bunch of comic book fans that listen to the show. They're all going, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really good. That's a good way to phrase it because it's the same way in the movie business. It's the same way as a director, where you're you see something and you're often in like this. How many directors are influenced by like David Fincher and all those cats? And you're trying to yeah. replicate that early on, and then it is your mistakes. It is your mistakes that end up defining you, and then you end up. You know, either keeping those things or ending off on a strange little tirade where suddenly you've discovered something that feels fresh to you because those mistakes led you down that path. Uh, it's the yeah, same yeah. thing, dude. It's the same thing. And the worst question you can ever ask someone, as as I learned from David Slade, and he gave me the answer, is where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> because, well, if I knew, first off, if, if you knew where you get your ideas from, well, they need to go there all the time because they'd be good ideas. Yeah. But his answer was always uh, a small child in Botswana. I believe it was that. <laughs> he would just make something up. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a brain process. There's I, Obviously, there's a psychology to it. But, yeah, if we knew how to be good straight out of the gate instead of learning from mistakes and just, you know, having lightning strikes sometimes with our brains, then, mm-hmm. yeah, we'd all be geniuses and we'd all be fantastic. We can't control all of it. It's a morphosis yeah well and i find myself i find a lot of my time as far as like ideas are concerned and sort of trying to mine for ideas um you're just like i find myself smashing my head against a rock most of the time and you're just like fuck i need to come up with something new and so then when when you want them they don't come absolutely absolutely but you have to still go through that process of banging your head against a rock for a little while to sort of filter out a lot of these ideas that may not not necessarily that they're bad, they're just not ready. And I think that there's something to be said about ideas that you'll write down in a book or I'll write down in a sketchbook somewhere 
And then like fucking 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I, I figured out what that is. This is interesting now. But at that point in time, oh, yeah. it just wasn't ready for that's, it. That's why everything is valuable. Maybe just not to you, but to your future self. Yeah. So, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's really like, I'm not going to ask you how you, because uh, the way you play with light is like very, uh, what's the word? Iconic to me. It's like, I can tell when it's you. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. You do stuff. And that's what I always liked about yourself. Like, holy shit, this guy does with light the way I like to do it with art. Yeah. Try to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pardon my French. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Well, you fucking, we're allowed to fucking swear. This is an NPR (laughs) deal. I'm I'm Australian. If I don't swear once a day, I lose my passport. Yeah. I'm from Boston. I swear like every, like four times a sentence. (laughs) Um, That's why I like, I like people in Boston. (laughs) From Boston. Uh, yeah, man. I think that's why I was gravitated to your work too. Like there was, I think when I started in the, in this business and I've told the story a couple of times, but when I started in this business, um, I came in young and all these cinematographers, all the, the older cameramen around me were still shooting 35 millimeter film. And when I started, I couldn't afford that shit and I couldn't mm-hmm. afford a cinematographer. And at those times, at those days, cinematographers were kind of like, Hey, we're magicians. We're magical. We're these magical little fucking unicorn. It's like, I don't care about any of that. So <laughs> I, uh, I taught myself video in the early days of video were pretty terrible. Like they, like they had no depth of field. It had terrible frame mm-hmm. rates. It just, it, you were always risking it looking like a fucking basketball game because it just looked like shit. And so I had to be incredibly experimental with what I was doing for video, whether I'm like really dirtying up the images or running them out of focus or using different adapters. And and um, I really became obsessed with light. And mm-hmm. I love, um, I actually love lighting sets. I really do. And I love... Uh, constant light and, and and running hazers and smoke machines because you get the volumetrics and you can see that light in that space. And then there's something really nice about pushing yourself through that light and existing in it for a while and then shaping it. Um, I, I love that. For me, it's like, I say this all the time, it's like a great meal. Like, like walking through a well-lit set is like having a fucking juicy steak where you're just like, oh man, it's so tasty. The way it looks here in this corner and the, the way that it just sort of dithers out and then the color mix that you're able to use and with all these new yeah. units that exist now, all this LED technology that's mind-blowing, like I can mix colors on set. I can mix all this shit in, in real yeah. time and see it. It's awesome, man. I and, love it. And the, the color is how you – it's really playing with emotion too because that's – I mean you can take a – the image is the image, but the lighting denotes so much more emotion and feeling than – just that that image you know yeah and that's yeah. what you i like that you were you could play with that a lot more yeah thanks. Even if the, the tech of the camera itself wasn't going to give that to you so yeah and eventually it caught up so eventually the tech caught up and so then you're also being able to use all the tools that have existed for hundreds of years prior to that in video and now uh now it's everything everything's fucking shot on video like all of it is um and you know what else is yeah, interesting? It's like it's like tablets in comics, man. No one draws on paper anymore except <laughs> me. It sucks. <laughs> oh, we you- have to learn that because <laughs> things look great. You know, they look fantastic. Yeah, know, with the new tech. But I like the old style. I wouldn't if I do the new tech. It would completely change me, and I'm afraid of that too. So there is a level but of that. We adapt. We have to adapt. Yeah, man. There's a level of that. I mean, I, I for years I was doing all my my storyboards on on paper, which I you know I still like to do, but. 
these days, you know, storyboards, it's all about getting them done quickly and not being, you know, comic book level precise with it. And so the stuff I like about tablets is is that I can now bring in, like, I I have like these really cool little, I'm sure you've seen them, these really cool little art model dolls that are super advanced. So I can actually shoot Mm -hmm. these model dolls the way I want them to be with the right Mm -hmm. lens. And then I could just sketch over them real quick and and like run that stuff out fast. That's why I like the tablet stuff for that. It's just more efficient for me than anything else. But it, there's a sadness in that, not in in what you're doing, obviously. But um, yeah, you know, there's the old storyboards for like Dune or Alien, yeah, or Star yeah. Wars. You know, there's those hand drawn. They're objects, you know. They're artifacts now. Yeah, from from history. We don't really have that when it's just a computer file. I mean, it's, I'm sure they still look great, but it's different. It's different. Well, I dude. guess I'm old now. That's what it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I appreciate well, yeah. older things. <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, come join me and Ben on the front porch as we talk about as we talk about old man stuff. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go to adult diapers, though. Not yet. <laughs> well, I I don't think I told you, but I got an opportunity. I've already added it on the show that uh, uh, Twelve Cam is with Ridley Scott's company. I got to hang out mm-hmm. in his office and I saw all his boards and stuff. And they were oh, good. I thought you were about to say he's adult diapers. And that's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know he's an older gentleman, but <laughs> let's not go there. No, yeah. that's amazing because that. I mean, that guy has helped shape cinematic history. Oh my in god! Many ways. Oh well, my god! My cinematic history, especially. So. Oh, dude, and and we want to talk about lighting and shit. I mean, like, there's a whole yeah. period in time in the '90s that have completely influenced the way I do shit. Where it's like, hey, uh, let's put a huge beam of light through the ceiling, and someone find me the biggest fan that you possibly can and stick it in front of that light and then have that play up with through the volumetrics i mean he's he's the master at that shit i mean the stories of uh you know uh, blade runner where he does the reflective water stuff on the walls of tyrell's office it's just mm-hmm. like it makes absolutely zero sense practically um but it makes all the sense in the world as far as an artist is concerned so he's well, i think he made me understand that a director isn't is actually an artist in a in a in the true sense of the word yeah like visually you in, I don't know. Was, when I when I learned he made Gladiator just because he saw a painting he liked. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, that's that's something I could probably relate to. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I want to get that vibe from that image. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, man, he he's a fucking machine. Like he really is. He's he's in, like in at his age. I mean, he put out what two movies this year? It's fucking ridiculous at the level that he does this stuff. So. Um, he's definitely intimidating and someone that, uh, I aspire to be and I'll never be cause I'm never, I don't have that same proficiency that he has, but holy hell, man. Just put, just put less mullets in your movies, please. <laughs> I'm saying that's the only thing I have a problem with, with the last jewel. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't understand the mullet situation. That was it. Yeah. Well, the, uh, well, no, I hope he keeps going for a long time yet. So yeah, me too, man. He's got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline that I'm excited about. Um, we're talking about color. I don't have it in front of me, but I just started reading this really fascinating book on color and the history of color, and it's kind of opening my mind up to it a bit. Where Didn't that start with the technical birth of the universe? Photons. <laughs> 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 I hope it covers that because, like, the history of I've never thought about the history of color. Well, you mean the way humans use it? I hope. Yes, and it, okay. and, then, and the pigmentation of paints and all that stuff, oh, yeah, which yeah. is which is fascinating because they would they used to grind up beetles to get a specific color back in the day, and they talk yeah. about like Egyptian the Egyptian blue and. 
all this stuff, all the way down to modern color and how people are really sort of changing pigments to make like really specific shades of blue and everything else. Mm -hmm. It's fucking really fascinating stuff, dude. I never really thought about that. The science. Well, I, I, I learned, you know, because pigment is, traditional pigment is all from the natural world and it's, you make it from things in that, um, and the way oil paint, you know, traditional oil paints aren't synthetic usually. So it's like cooking. It's like you're using things of the earth and you're cooking in the way that things react with other things to do with the colors in the paint and what goes first, what goes second, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's fast. There's something in there. This, this fast, it's fascinating as far as uh, like the mood that each color evokes and how people feel when they're, when they're around that color, how, how they feel when they look at that color. And then oh, yeah. where it comes from, the history of where it comes from, it's, it, it's, I, I can't believe I don't have the book in front of me because it's useless. I'll, t I'll put it in the link of these episodes that you guys listening know what I'm talking about. But my buddy Cruda, who's my cinematographer, bought me the book for Christmas and I was reading it last night and I was like, why have I not thought about where these pigments come from? That's fucking weird to me that I never thought about that. Anyway. <laughs> well, there's like, uh, what's it called? La is it called? I'm going to get the name wrong. Lapis Lazuli or something. From uh, Af it was only found in Afghanistan or certain mountains around there. Oh wow! Which gave the the, the amazing blue mm -hmm. that's in almost everything in the ancient world, but it all came from there. Something like that. It's like yeah. color. So color technically affects history, you know, and the the quest for those things. Yeah, you know, the trade routes and the wars over things like that. The, the precious color. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when it's you important. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it actually is. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff, man. It's really fascinating stuff. And then, you know, how how art has shaped our existence, how art has shaped our perception of our existence. And we see this now with movies and stuff where, you know, uh, history has been rewritten through the eyes of an artist interpreting something else in the past. And now, you know, we have such a generation of folks that are allergic to doing real research. So they'll watch something on Netflix and go, okay, so that was the way it was back then. Fascinating. Uh, don't get me started on my rant about <laughs> real history versus whole. I understand there's story points and things you need to construct within a medium that may not be accurate to real life. I mm -hmm. get that. But occasionally there's a, some egregious things <laughs> like in Braveheart. But yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. But no, no, like um, the first war correspondents were artists. So, you know, they had to draw oh. the aftermath or hopefully maybe sometimes even the battles. So. Oh, wow. I didn't think about that. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Up until like the Crimean, I think it was the Crimean War was when war photography started really taking over. So huh. I know a little about a lot and a lot about a little. <laughs> None of it useful. So uh, Same. That's what, uh, part of being a, po a podcast host is that I get to meet a lot of really interesting people, learn just a little bit about what they do, and then afterwards go, yeah, yeah, I've spent some time with them. I know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just nod your head and i can't even see that yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. oh you don't say mm -hmm. oh fascinating really? i could tell you anything right now and you'd probably give me that reaction <laughs> no. don't worry that's exactly my how my normal life goes anyway it's like yeah i'm full of useless crap <laughs> and i'm probably wrong anyway but i i do believe the crimean war really broke open the whole visual uh photography for that and hmm. it was before the civil war in america so Hmm. But yeah, before that, there was a, it was. I mean, you go to the, the the museums in London and and Europe, especially, and they've got all those huge paintings of 
famous battles, and they're just based on recollections told to the artists mm-hmm. about by you know the generals usually, and even their bias because their point of view is well yeah I did this charge and it was really good because it was everything was at stake. It's like actually you were an idiot and you got <laughs> everyone killed, but that's Crimean War again. But um, well, I mean, the, no, the, they're amazing paintings and like, but they probably didn't really look like that. But so we shape we shape history that way. Cause that, that painting will survive for hundreds of years. Well, I mean, we still, found. we still do that bullshit with editing these days. You know, you're, you send a camera out there to film stuff and then you bring it back and you would re-edit it and you go, okay, here's the perspective that we want to take. Well, I learned the art of editing based on reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of, of how to change a narrative or construct a narrative based on selective editing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that didn't happen that way. It's all not, I'm not saying it's all bullshit, but yes, you can craft a certain, yeah, don't watch reality TV anyway. It's bad for you. Well, let's just say, I will say, a lot of it is all bullshit. I mean, being somebody that has ha- has been hired to film stuff like that and be in those situations where you see the re- real things happen and then be in the edit room afterwards and see folks yeah. take like an, a close-up shot of someone crying from like two weeks prior and cram it into a sequence uh, with conversation, <laughs> just to just to give it some sort of emotional weight, uh, because so that, that was my wedding. <laughs> Did you feel my wedding? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, like the, most of that stuff, like it, if you're gonna watch a real documentary, real documentaries are ninety percent boring because it's just real life. There isn't any of that drama. There aren't those like uh, drama swells in between commercial breaks that so many of these programs have. Um, yeah. You know. I, I, I like documentaries for that in that you, you could do a documentary on a guy and all he does is his, his thing is, I don't know, he picks his nose too much. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a one sentence thing. Done. Kind of boring. But then you watch an hour long documentary on this guy of you following this guy around and filming him and doing things. It's like his story can become engrossing to me anyway. But, yeah. But at the same time, I know you can selectively film bits to craft a narrative the way you want of the guy picking his nose. So, or whatever he's doing, collecting cars. I don't know. Well, I, cars. yeah. I mean, the, the be boring, but it could be interesting. I don't know. I like the quiet stuff. So I do too. And the thing that's interesting about docs is that unless you're incredibly manipulative, unless you're like, you know, Hitler hiring a documentarian to, to tell a country that something is, is good. Most of the time when you start, you don't have a story in mind. You just sort of roll camera. Mm-hmm. Like when you and I hung out, just roll camera. We walk around, we do that. And documentaries mm-hmm. are pretty much written in post-production. They're written in the edit process. And um, oftentimes, yeah, that's a good point. yeah, oftentimes you have to go back out to get more coverage because you're going down a path uh, narratively where you're like, well, you know, I know we were going to follow you around on drawing, but it turns out that you have, you know, this fascinating addiction to cheeseburgers. And so let's go film more of you eating cheeseburgers or whatever the fuck. Oh, thank God you didn't say randomly flashing people in the street. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I don't want you to get canceled, brother. <laughs> well, I've never actually done that, but. <laughs> uh, but you know, I have a theory on that though, in that um, I don't think flashes are a thing anymore. And I think that's because of, <laughs> modern phones and the internet and everything, people just send, those guys just send dick pics now to random people <laughs> instead. 
Yeah, the online flashers. Yeah, unless you're uh, what was it? The comedian Louis C.K. He was he was uh, busted for flashing, I guess. Whatever. Um, uh, that's a whole, that's to do with pot plants. I think that's a very particular fetish. I have no <laughs> idea what it's about, but yeah. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> yeah. This dovetails into how I write things, by the way. Yes. So. Oh, really? Uh, I write very stupid things because my brain just says these stupid things. So, <laughs> See, I could you could do a forty-five minute conversation about him jerking off into pot plants, but yeah. <laughs> well, he needs a, he needed well he needed an audience for them too, though. That's the thing. And I guess there was a power there was a power play for it. So, uh, yeah, there is. Too. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Um, I can't relate to him. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's never been one of my things. Hey, uh, come on in here. <laughs> I um, say things as jokes and I spend half an hour denying that I actually would do them in real life. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so let's talk about writing. Let's talk about the writing process for you. Um what do you just Where do I get my ideas from? No, I don't want to get into that. Like <laughs> you've already did, I, like I'm not going to ask the dumb question. <laughs> but when you when it's okay, you It's okay. When it's you small child of Botswana. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's call him up. We'll put him on the show. Um when you uh, start to feel, when you start to feel like there's something to chase, as far as an idea is concerned, or as far as like mm -hmm. a, a notion is concerned, um, it, how long is that process for you? Are you just writing out uh, quick sketches and quick notes? Are you sketching things, or is it just like uh, writing out an idea first and then you sketch? Like, what's the usual process for you? Uh, I just write write things down in my in my iPhone notes. Honestly, really? if I have an interesting little idea or a tidbit or a name or something. And then, you know, it could take years, but uh, maybe slowly I figure out some sort of conflict or something or a story based around the con the concept. So, mm -hmm. and then, uh, yeah, I basically write it all in my iPhone notes. Oh. But then I kind of, that's like in the rough print um, point form sort of thing. And I just print that out or look at that. And then I just write by hand. It all has to be by hand. And I write like the actual story out. Because oh, nice. for some reason I can't, I don't feel terribly creative except for the initial ideas on the digital. So I like writing by hand. Mm. So, uh, and then I, I write stream of consciousness. So if I know like a scene, um, you know, I, I know the basic, um, was it just the bare bones of, of a story, shall we say? Yeah. I, I break it down by a scene. I was like, okay. So the, these two guys talk here, have a problem and then it leads to all the other stuff in the story. So then I just stream of consciousness, consciousness, uh, by hand, write the dialogue for each scene. Like, cause I'm in my head, I know what's going on. So I just write it and it hopefully makes it a little more naturalistic rather than this character now says this. And then this character says, I just write it. So it's all a jumbled mess of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but because I know what's going on and I have the basic plot as well in, on a separate document, then, uh, I go ahead and lay out a, a comic, book <laughs> yeah I and mean, so there's there's nothing there's no real script i don't do real scripts i don't write for other people so so yeah. the whole thing comes together when i finally put that dialogue in the lettering on the final art and then it's a comic because before that it's just rambles and some art with no words got it got it are you planning because th there's obviously a uh 
like a format to that to that uh, to that outlet as far as comic books are concerned. Are you like uh, doing like a rough sort of sketch out as far as even if it's just ideas and words like this is how many pages it's going to be? Or it's going to be like this, or are you drawing stream of consciousness the same way as you're writing stream of consciousness? Uh, well, I might make rough notes of like um, for each scene, like okay, this should be four pages, this should be five, this should be two. Mm-hmm. You know, as a rough guide, but then uh, I just read through the dialogue and then I, I lay it out, like I guess storyboard it uh, essentially mm-hmm. in the as as, as you know, rough pages and it, it goes where it takes me because sometimes dialogue needs room to breathe and sometimes you need a pause and, you, you know, comics are – the thing that defines comics is, is the denotation of time between mm-hmm. panels especially or mm-hmm. – but what happens between in within the gutters as well? The gutters being the spaces between the panels. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's more very organic, natural process. And I, because I do things myself now, I have no rules. Mm-hmm. I can make a comic that's thirty-four pages or twenty pages or fifty pages. It, I don't have any constraints. I don't have the boss telling me what to do. That's cool. So yeah, and yeah. I just print. Yeah, I mean, I always have a rough plan, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not limited by a lot of the commercial things now because I do it all myself. Even you know, printing the books. So, but if you do a real commercial job, then you get given a script, and it that's all dealt with by the writer and the editor. So mm-hmm. I just follow the script in that sense. But uh, I can never do that for myself, <laughs> and I wouldn't pretend to inf- inflict that upon anyone else. So, yeah, it's just my own organic process. Right. It is time to do our sponsor reads. Uh, and without these folks, the show wouldn't be possible. So stick around. Bunch of really cool stuff that I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, first up, let us talk, let's talk about our new sponsor over at Vidafair. That is V-I-D-A-F-A-I-R.com. If you're a filmmaker like myself, Maybe you're someone that is uh, creating short films, you're creating web series, and you want to get them out to an audience and you want to monetize them. It's completely understandable. Who do you use? What are your options? There's a bunch of different companies out there uh, that are charging you per click, that are charging you based upon the amount that you charge your uh, viewers. Uh, What I like about Vitafair is that they don't do that. They charge you a, a hosting fee, an initial hosting fee, um, which is like under six bucks to post your content. And then you can put whatever price you want on the pay per click. Um, and they won't charge you more for it. That is the biggest benefit of these guys. Head on over to vitafair.com and check them out. Um, let me see if I can read some stuff off here. Uh, how much money can you make? Use your earnings calculator to see for yourself. Uh, go to the about menu items on our homepage and to enter the file size your 24-hour rental price, and the number of views you might expect in the next 12 months. Uh, minimum allowable rental prices will ref- are a product f- of file size. I don't know what that means. I, don't, I, I read that completely wrong. Um, but yeah, you can go over here and check and see how much money you could potentially make. Um, you can They give you advice on how to set your prices. Um, it's really great. And it's also a great place to check out 
other films and documentaries. So um, there's a bunch of like, I'm just clicking on their films page. There's a movie called The Mechanic, which looks interesting. Big Buck Bunny looks cool. Um, head on over to Vitifair and check it out. I think they're going to try to build a community of filmmakers on there as well. So it's a great place. New sponsor. Very excited to have them on the show. Go check them out today. Uh, on our other great, exciting sponsor for the show, uh, a sponsor that when you sign up for it will change the way your work is seen immediately. So this is very important. For your filmmakers, before you can post your movies on Vitafair, you have to make them exciting. You have to make them visually appealing, but you also have to make them sound like they're expensive. Sound, you want to make sure that that music that you choose is triggering all those emotional cues. That is filling in the blanks, the stuff that happens in between the shots. That emotional thread line that is pulling the audience into your film. And one of the worst things you can do is go get stock music. And for so many of our projects, whether you're doing commercials or whether you're doing corporate videos, the clients always think about music last. It is one of the smallest light items on your budget. It drives me crazy when I talk to a client who is so hyper-focused on like, what camera are you shooting this on? How's it going to look? Is this 4K? And then they are like, here, here's like $200 for the music. All of that stuff that you wanted before is completely negated by shitty sound. Think about it. You can watch a movie that looks like crap and excuse it as style. You cannot watch a movie that sounds like shit. No one will want to watch it. They'll shut it off immediately. So what I highly suggest you do right now, many of you can't afford, don't know composers, don't have relationships with composers. It would be nice to have original music created for everything, but it's not realistic, whether you're talking about your clients or whether you're talking about your own personal work. I found this company called Jambox. Go to jambox.io. They blew my mind. I have worked with a bunch of different stock websites. I've had clients send me stock websites. My eyes want to roll their way out of my head when I listen to this stuff. I went to Jambox and I felt like I went to a labels website. Suddenly the music felt bigger. Suddenly the music felt more emotionally consistent, more emotionally powerful. The production on the music was interesting. Hell, I wanted to license opera music and I could get real opera music with a real orchestra performing that opera music for such a low price, for such an affordable price. The thing that I love about Jambox is that these guys have been providing music to like Michael Bay's movie commercials for years, to huge productions, but they also understand the power of supporting independent filmmakers. They understand the power of supporting new talent. They also understand how the game works and where the views come from. And how if you do a really great web series, that will lead to telling great stories in a larger platform at some point in time. So these guys want to make relationships with everybody. Very smart of them. What do I mean by this? You can sign up for different subscription uh, plans with these guys today, affordably today, uh, and oftentimes cheaper than it costs you to, to subscribe to fucking Netflix, okay? And get access to amazing content and maybe you're not doing a project right now where you need music are you going to be writing treatments for projects are you going to be writing ideas for projects wouldn't it be nice to be able to say to a client i would like this to have 
a giant operatic score. And the client going, well, we don't really have the money for that, but you have already done the research by going to jambox.io and going through the catalog and saying, I have access to it. And it's only gonna cost us for that commercial. Uh, it's only gonna cost me $19.99 a month to be a part of this plan, which will cover that. 19 bucks a month covering your commercial stuff. I have that unlimited commercial account and it works for client work, including digital ads, weddings, corporate and nonprofit. Uh, $19.99 a month will cover everything from the creator plan, which we'll talk about in a second. It gives you full access to all sound effects and stems of songs. The stems are the bits and pieces that you can dissect when you're listening to a track to make it even more emotionally poignant. Uh, paid advertising, corporate, business, wedding, life events, and annual commitment. So that's $19.99 a month for the uh, commercial account. The creator account is only $9.99 a month. Um, and that gives you full access to all the music, unlimited downloads. And you can use this for your YouTube channels, uh, your social media content, your personal projects, your student projects, web and streaming. It's a great, especially if you have podcasts. Okay. And the music that you're listening is from Jambox right now. So great option. If you're a student, they have $6 a month for a student that gives you access to music and sound effects. And uh, you could use those for your student projects, for film festivals, web streaming, social channels. It's really great. Uh, and if you don't want to sign up for a subscription plan, they do song uh, prices as well. So you could just do uh, single songs or uh, single items that you want for a specific project. I'm telling you, Jambox.io is changing it. Uh, if you guys haven't heard it yet, if it hasn't come out yet, maybe it has. I, I, all my episodes are all misorganized as far as the release is concerned. Um, I actually sat down with the owner uh, and we get in depth into why the Jambox stuff sounds the way it does. So definitely go back and check out that episode. And in the meantime, while you're listening, click the link in the description of the bio, head on over to jambox.io and look around, start to use their catalog to get those brain juices flowing for your next project. Uh, okay, also supporting the show, um, and they have been with us for quite some time now, ETC. If you are into cinematography, if you're into lighting, um, definitely head on over to etcconnect.com backslash love the process and check out the units they have. They do amazing spotlight units. They do amazing focused features, um, but they also are now doing these amazing uh, LED bicolor units. Uh, I actually have their uh, FOS4 Fresnel, which is like this big Fresnel. It almost looks like an 1800 HMI. Uh, it's all LED based. I can run it off any circuit in the house. Um, and these guys have spent so much time integrating red into their LED spectrum. And that introduction of red really changes the way skin tones look, really makes the colors richer and stronger. Um, I love these guys. Super cool company. Um, I do have ETC stuff in the kit. I'm going to try to convince them uh, to give me some of their Source 4s. I love the Source 4s. Those are those uh, spotlights that you see on stages, backlighting musicians. Uh, I've used those in uh, most of Gina's music videos that I've lit. We've always had some sort of Source 4 for now. Uh, running in the background. So, or I'm sorry, source for profile uh, running in the background. So 
head on over to etcconnect.com backslash love the process and check out what I'm rambling about, man. You guys going to dig it. Last but not least, our friends over at Puget Systems. You've heard me talk about them since day one on the show. Love these guys. They build amazing computers. If you're in the uh, market now for a new computer, you want to spend some cash, you want to make sure you get a system that you can rely on, you want to make sure that all the money that you're spending on that computer is actually going into the hardware to run the software that you need it to run, right? You don't want to be spending at least $400 on the unboxing experience. <laughs> the amount of money that it costs Apple to put together their felty fucking boxes. These are boxes that oftentimes I'm afraid to throw out because they look like they shouldn't be thrown out. And so they just sit in my closet and collecting dust, right? Get rid of that shit. Just send it in a box. <laughs> send it in a fucking box. I'm buying a computer, not a box. So take the money that it would cost for you to manufacture these elaborate unboxing experiences and maybe make my graphics card better. Maybe make my memory better in the machine. So look into it. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. There you can start to pick out your computer based upon the software you use and click on the software. They'll give you a baseline package. But here's what I love about Puget. It's a smaller company. They know all their clients and they want to talk to you specifically about what you need. They will put you in touch with one of their, uh, what do they call them? One of their technicians that'll walk you through. They'll ask you about your career, what it is you do, what it is that you need the machine to do, and they'll help you piece together the perfect computer. These guys don't manufacture hardware. They're not peddling off stuff that they're building. They actually construct computers from all sorts of third-party hardware out there. And so they benchmark test everything, all the graphics cards, they benchmark test all the memory, uh, they know what works best with certain motherboards, and believe it or not, the newest hardware on the marketplace doesn't necessarily make the software run as fast as it should. These guys know how to save money. They know where to put it. Head on over to PugetSystems.com and check out what I'm talking about, man. Love those guys. All right, that's it. Um, before we get back into the show, head on over to InLoveWithTheProcess.com. There you can check out all of our sponsors. We have a sponsor page set up. But also while you're listening to the show, this is a great place for you to check out our supplement page for each episode. You can go there, watch trailers for the movies, scenes for the movies, links, images, photos. I try to ask all of the guests that come on the show to send me some original images. And some of those images I'll use for thumbnails and I'll post on Instagram. But a lot of that stuff I'll put together on InLoveWithTheProcess.com. Head on over there and check it out. That's it, let's get back to the show. So as far as like, uh, because I, I always think of these things like movies, you know what I mean? So like if there's uh, a great they, script. They are, hopefully they're cheap movies on paper. Yeah, right, right. So that, but the difference is that I'm like yeah. you, you're just sort of sitting down, you're doing all this by yourself. I then have to integrate with all these other fucking people, which I love to do, but it becomes, that, I think that's why it's twice as, or not even twice, that's why it's exponentially more expensive to do a movie. But for like, if I was going to get characters in front of the camera, I would have to like do a lot of research 
on their outfits oh, yeah. and what they're wearing and what their clothing is. Do you do a lot of that stuff? Are you are you digging through like period clothing for for books that you do or well, you- a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I because I, I love history, so I, I do try to be true to vaguely true to some of the history mm-hmm. and and the way things look. I like that, but at the same time, you also want to have fun. So sure, I understand the whole three hundred thing where it's like. They don't look, they're not exactly accurate to history, but they look really cool. So, you know, middle ground at least between those, you know, the two parts of the spectrum would be, would be nice. Yeah. So, no, I enjoy researching and making things look relatively authentic, I guess, at least for the history stuff. Nice. But everything else is like, well, you know, there's no budget. I can make things look the way I want if they're crazy science fiction things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because when whenever I'm in a game or if I'm in a situation or if I have a scene in the movie where it's something that doesn't exist in reality, those can be the most difficult things unless I'm completely inspired by something. Like if I wake up from a nightmare and I'm like, okay, I've, I've envisioned what this thing's going to look like. Those things I, I find to be the most difficult to process. And I'm constantly, mm-hmm. I haven't talked about it in a while, but I have folders on my computer that I call my inspiration folders, where if I'm going through and I see work, if I see art, I'm always saving Mm -hmm. it and sort of cataloging it in these inspiration folders so that when I do hit a fucking roadblock, which happens quite a lot, then I could just sort of flip through this inspiration folder to try to find whether it's like uh, a specific part of an outfit or a way a light was coming through a window or something that just triggers the imagination. Do you do something similar to that or... Oh yeah, I have I have a bunch of folders of other artists' work that isn't even anything stylistically like mine, but I just love it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. if I can incorporate little ideas or bits, or it just gets me enthused, and yeah, it'll take me to a different path, maybe. But yeah, 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 yeah. But I do think I do think, especially with the advent of tablets and how concept art and artists can work really quickly now. I do. I don't know. I was going to say. There are very different aesthetic periods in time. So, like the seven, like I like looking because I did a thing on uh, a demonology um, of an old book, mm-hmm. and what inspired me was this the seventeenth, eighteenth century um, era illustrations of these demons. Well, not all the demons, but some of them, and like they look completely out of whack with what our visual, our modern visual sense is of what looks evil and cool, um, you know, demonic. Hmm. they're kind of crazy but they they work because they they look freaking weird and I, I just i feel these days a lot of movies especially with the concept work to do with like oh this is an alien this is a, a spaceship they all look very like they've come from the same person mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. there's so much homogen what's the word homogenate homogenation yeah homogenation homogenation so i think everyone's being very influenced by everyone else right now yeah. With the whole, I don't know. And I'd like to get back to more distinctive stuff like Ridley Scott's alien. Yeah. Uh, no one had ever seen any designs like that before. Yeah. And sadly really ever again. Um, it was so distinct with what, uh, with what Giga did or Giga. Yeah. Was, I say Giga. I was told it was Giga. His name is pronounced HR Giga. Yes. Me, me too. Everyone wants to say Giga. But yeah. Cause, cause uh, Giga did all the creature stuff and then Mobius did, the suits and the ships and stuff. So that was all. Oh, yeah. Well, he was another visual uh, genius, obviously. So yeah, I shouldn't yeah. have not yeah. included him. So. <laughs> no, I actually didn't realize. I forgot that he did the suits. That's why those suits look so freaking cool. Yeah, so. dude. And then 
You know, the other story is that uh, Ridley got his hands on uh, Jaredowski's Dune concepts because all of that, those two came from Jaredowski's stuff. So when he was originally doing the Dune concept yeah. work, he's the one that found those artists, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and that's, that's another movie that would visually stand. Yeah. I mean, regardless of anything else to do with that movie, if it ever happened, the visuals from that would be talked about and remembered. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, when you think about movies, I, I think the big reason for this, now knowing because I'm on the inside, um, I'll, you have to put together what they call mood boards when you go do pitches and shit. And mm -hmm. a, a lot of the images and stuff that you're pulling from mood boards come from other movies, come from things that people oh. have seen before. Um, and oh, then really? 100%, dude. And they're, I have to show you oh, some. Yeah. Real quick. So it turns out I did a bunch of mood boards for 30 Days of Night. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I just did up illustrations and uh, especially a lot of the vampire characters. And, and apparently I was told, you yeah, know, that 50% was the concept and 50% was the, uh, the mood and the art that we saw uh, when uh, we were being pitched. That's what a producer told me. So I was like, Oh, okay. They're mood boards. I did a bunch of mood boards. Yeah. All right. Well, it's nice when you have an artist. <laughs> I did them by accident just because I was really enthused. So. <laughs> it's, nice to know. It's, it's nice when you have an artist involved that actually drew the well, original I mean, Essentially, concept. if you're turning a comic into a film anyway, the yeah. comic is a whole giant exactly. mood board exactly. for uh, people to understand what the hell it might look like. So. But even, yeah, it's good to know. But even then these days, okay, so uh, for instance, like the Loki TV show. Right. So mm -hmm. it is quite obvious that they were taking all sorts of stills from Zodiac, from all sorts of David Fincher movies. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically because, and I, and I haven't had the director on the show, but I'm going to ask her if I do get her on the show. There's a, there's a quote from Fincher when he was shooting Alien 3, which is his worst movie. Mm -hmm. It was a quote that yeah, stuck. Yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. But I'm it, not a fan of that one. I mean, it's all right. It's got some stuff in it that I liked. But there's a lot of trash yes. in it. Um, yes. But there's a quote from that where he said that he wanted to spend the extra money to build ceilings on his sets because it made it feel more claustrophobic, which I really like. And then if you watch mm -hmm. Loki, a lot of the shots of the ceilings in that series are straight ripped from Fincher's work. And so... You, mm -hmm. you know that there's their mood boards. If that director had to put together mood boards, grabbed a bunch of Fincher frames and put them in there, and you could see it translated ultimately onto this mm. to, onto the screen. 100% do. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. And then when I put together mood boards, I'll put together stuff that has really strange imagery from movies and from things that people haven't seen before. And my, my, my agents and my manager would be like, pull that out. And I'm like, why am I pulling that out? And they're like, that movie did terribly. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but the mood is so good, you know? And, you know, I, I think a great example of that is, um, we just talked about him before we started rolling, Panos, who did Mandy. He also yeah, did- Yeah, Mandy visually is very distinctive, I thought. A hundred percent. He also did Beyond, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is his movie yes. that came before that which yep. I, I think is incredibly influential. It's a huge movie. And uh, mm -hmm. anytime I would put Beyond the Black Rainbow references, images in my stuff, my guys would go, pull those out, pull those out. <laughs> it's funny, man. It's weird. <laughs> that's, you're seeing a thing in isolation that works that's really good. doesn't mean, shouldn't invalidate it because the rest of the movie might not have been everyone else's cup of tea you know, yeah. that you're showing. It's like surely they understand, oh, that looks cool. 
Uh, Even if the movie stank, I it, don't know. It depends because then you're it tainted that much, dude. You're talking to money kids, you know, and I say money kids because a lot of these people that we're talking to to get movies greenlit are like young twenties, young thirties, and yeah, uh, and they're you got to spoon feed them the visuals and like, oh, it'll be like this and that exactly. And if you start digging too deep, if I start pulling from the seventies now. And to start putting 70s visuals and stuff to like, what is this from? <laughs> it's like, oh, right, you weren't even born yet. <laughs> so it's, you know, I do, it's I do like that, like the 80s look and style has kind of become a bit cool again, at yeah. least to some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're trying to encapsulate that in the new work. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think a big portion of that too is it, it's just the time is right, right? So like Spielberg and all those cats were, re were replicating the movies that they saw when they were, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. Like you look mm -hmm. at, uh, you know, the original thing with John Carpenter and it's it was literally a Howard Hawks movie prior to that. And he's just mm -hmm. loading it with all the Howard Hawks stuff. So to have, and I know this because I'm a huge 80s kid. Instead, I have a lot of the style and aesthetics from the 80s coming out now where a lot of the directors are my age. It makes sense. It, it totally does. And now we're going to have the 90s fucking style. So what you're saying is I'm currently living in the golden age and then it's going to get bad. <laughs> That's what we all Not think. Not bad. I mean, there are some good films in the 90s. Yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's my our generation. We think the 80s had some of the best. Yeah, it's because. Well, not the best, but the best of well, yeah, the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's because that's what scared There's us. A lot of touchstones for us then. So. Yeah, that's what scared me. Visually I mean, and uh, yeah. mood wise, emotionally, yeah. Like, dude, yeah, 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 I'm trying consistently trying to replicate for myself the same fear I had when I watched things at 12, 13, 14 years old. I'm consistently trying to do that. So, of course, yeah. I you know dig back into that fucking well. You know what I mean. Yeah, we got to use what we know, right. what our own history, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, I, I'm assuming you also have a much larger cinematic uh, knowledge of history and, and things Sh that came before you were even born. Yes, obviously. of so course, of course. That's a great thing with movies. You can watch them. <laughs> <laughs> even if you weren't born when they were made. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't require a hell of a lot of effort. That's the other thing, too. As opposed yeah. to like actually having to dig through and do hard research through literature, which requires a lot of fucking work and effort. Uh, it, it blows my mind when I talk to a younger kid and they're just like, oh, the movie's in black and white. I'm like, that takes literally no effort for you. You just put it on, buddy. That's all you have to do is put it on yeah. and watch it. Have your mind blown open a bit, you know? I just hope kids kids today still have those touched. I mean, I don't know. It's Okay, like Avengers Endgame, I'm assuming that's going to be a cultural touchstone to a bunch of this generation, yes. or whatever generation it is right now. But will they be trying to replicate that in 20 yes. years' time, yes. 30 years? Yes. I honestly think so. Because we or see will they it go back earlier than that? I would like them to. Yeah. Well, you see it with uh, fashion, right? Fashion is just like a, a faster version of it. Where like you have like this different fashion culture that is consistently oh s suddenly we've gone back to the seventies and now you know flared b bottoms are back and now it's mom yeah. mom jeans from the fucking eighties and those are back you you see these like recycled things that I think ultimately it just comes down to what affects you at the most at the most uh, pivotal age and that stuff comes back in the culture you know just sort of yeah. repurposed in a weird way. You know? I know I know there's a psychology to it where you're the most able to absorb things 
from like 12 to whatever it is, 18 or something. Yeah. So things that you get to see first within those that period is what sticks with you, especially like music as well. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. So for for you... <laughs> it means we can predict the future now, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you must have worked in like some sort of an aquarium when you were 12, 13 with all the squid and all the tentacles and stuff that you've been obsessed with for years. Like where, where yeah, I just liked, uh, like the thing, especially. Oh yeah. 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 I just, uh, grew up watching things I'd never. Okay. So in Australia, real quick, this, there's a TV channel. I grew up with five TV channels. This is before pay TV, before cable, mm-hmm. like what America has or anything like that, but they have it now, especially with streaming and all of that. But there was five channels, free to wear channels with commercials. Mm-hmm. One of them, well, two of them were government run. One of them, was the main one, like the BBC, our version of the BBC. The other one was called SBS, and I forget what it stood for right now, but um, it was basically the multicultural channel because Australia is a multicultural country. Mm-hmm. So it would run a lot of foreign language things, and it would have a habit of playing really weird movies late at night, both <laughs> foreign and domestic, just ones that you wouldn't see on other channels, on commercial channels. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would – I'd get out of bed and I'd be in the living room and it would be dark because I didn't want my parents to know I was awake. <laughs> and I'd turn on the TV and I'd come in, You by luck, usually like five minutes into the film. So I never knew what these films were, mm-hmm. but I watched them. So that's how I watched The Thing. I had no idea it was called The Thing. I just watched it as this dog was being chased and people were trying to shoot this dog. I'm like, what's this? And that, I think that was on SBS. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Hellraiser and all sorts of, yeah. Cthulhu-y, tentacled horror monster things. So, yeah, I mean tentacles. I just like because um, they're very uh, they're a utility. They're very they're very outside of opposable thumbs. They've got to be the best uh, thing out there. So <laughs> yeah. it's very true. It's very true, and they're very smart. Uh, octopus are very smart. So they're they're true aliens on on planet Earth, especially with how much DNA. I think how many extra genes they have and all of that stuff. So. I've always been fascinated by that and things influenced by Lovecraft. So I didn't know about Lovecraft until much later, just the things that had already been influenced by him. So yeah, just got into it that way. Yeah. And some really good movies. Movies were, you know, and I mean, to a lesser extent comics because movies have sound and moving pictures. So they're really going to make an impact on a young brain. So Mm -hmm. And when you're when you're when you see these books that you're drawing in your head, you do you hear it with music? Do you hear it with sound? Do you see it as a movie, and then you're just trying to replicate that on page? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of do. I guess I kind of do. Yeah. I mean, I don't see them completely as movies, but um, the whole thing with comics is a silent medium, essentially. But uh, we we have these things called sound effects, and <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you can read the sound effect. It might say "whack." Yeah. But um, you can write that in a certain way that denotes sort of kinetic energy to kind of give you a, a feel in your brain, in your mind, hopefully, of how that might sound. I don't. It's a, it's a weird. It's a weird way of doing things. So you can really mess around with sound effects to a degree. Yeah. No, that's and, interesting. I mean, but it's going to be a different sound for every single person that reads it. So. Yeah, because you're yeah, suggesting it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool, man. But there's a visual code to some things, but. I don't know. I'm no expert in them. I just dabble. Well, no, it's fascinating because they're there. If you read enough of comics and I've read, you know, hundreds of comics since I was a kid, you end up becoming accustomed to the specific, like the, 
the safe rhythms of books where you're just like, okay, bup, 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 bup. you sort of work your way through it. And then there's this, you know, I've talked about it before. There's this period of time where, you know, like uh, Image came out and Wildstorm came out and they started to really sort of break a lot of those rules and break the way that the frames were drawn. And then it kind of became sort of exciting visually where you're like, oh, fuck, it doesn't have to have the same rhythms as all the other books used to have. And you, you know, you had artists like, you know, Todd McFarlane and all those guys doing weird shit, you know? A lot of that was just artists who finally didn't have an editor telling them what to do so they could go crazy. <laughs> and they did. And it, it created a whole new visual, you know, dynamic. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And then when I stumbled across your work, it was that way completely like getting into 30 days a night and how like abstract a lot of your illustrations were, but they were all incredibly filled with uh, kinetic energy and motion. And uh, it becomes more nightmarish. Oh. Yeah. Cause it's more like a broad That's stroke a, of the terror. What you're seeing there is a young, a young person discovering the blur tool. <laughs> 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 no, I realize, um, honestly, I must, uh, I mean, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I must have been among the th three or four artists at that time doing comics that weren't traditionally done mm -hmm. with just pure line work and then computer, the, the weird computer coloring they did back then mm -hmm. and now. Mm -hmm. But um, I just did, you know, I, I would scan things in and, as textures and I would put bits of photography in and all sorts of stuff. And I never, I haven't changed since. Well, I have a little, I just draw more, but um, everyone else has gone to tablets since then. And I still use a mouse. So, but for a period, I was one of those people that harnessed the computer in a way that mm, the rest of the industry wasn't, but I was trying to bring all the energy I, that I grew up with from image comics because image comics was my beginning, my real beginning. Yeah. 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 Uh, Visualness. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you draw with a mouse? Is that what you is that what you said? You're drawing with a mouse? Oh, no, I don't draw on computer. It's all hand drawn. Okay, okay, I scan okay. everything in oh, and yeah, I compile yeah. it, composite it, and colorize it in my own weird way. Oh, that's, a lot of layers. Yeah, lot okay. Of layers. And that, blur tool, apparently. <laughs> Not so much blur now. But blur, I mean, you can denote motion with the blur tool. For sure. And, you know, in, uh, For sure. And depth. you know what you're doing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do the art in a way that I know what I'm going to do in computer later because I can't do it by hand terribly well. Mm-hmm. But everyone else is, uh, yeah, it's it's getting to be much more un uncommon for people to be drawing by hand these days. Yeah, it's wild. And they say it's, they say it's quicker, but I don't really see it as too quick. And I think I'd be too tempted to add too much more than what I can do. And it would change the way I do it completely. Mm. So it would take the me out of it. And I'd, then I'd feel like I'm just becoming like everyone else, using the same brushes, the same particular little tools they use on the computer for it. So I just try to hack my way through and and deal with what I've physically already done. Yeah. So it gives it a bit of a different look, hopefully. Well, dude, it's your process. What it's I'm your process. saying is I'm one of those fucking directors that are still doing the 30 on film <laughs> instead of digital. <laughs> but it's the process, and man. I'm insisting on it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, that's the process for those folks. I always say, you know, because yeah. my cinematographer is constantly going, when are we going to shoot film? And I go, when we, when we get comfortable – enough on set where I can just play that game because film changes the way yeah. you, you, you process everything. Like everything becomes incredibly important. When you start to roll that camera, you're like, okay, so th this is going to, this is costing cash. So everybody get your shit yeah. together. It, it definitely changes the vibe and all that stuff. And I think there are places for that. I think uh, there's a creativity set 
within boundaries. And I've always felt that way, especially when you can create anything in the world. You have to create a, a sort of like a creative fence around your idea that you then play within because uh, mm -hmm. boundaries cause uh, creativity. You have to sort of come over these hurdles that you yes. set for yourself. You know? Yes, if you if you give in the box, then you you make something within that box. Yes, sir. And it, you can. It's the necessity is the mother of, of invention. So you can come up with so many. The one thing I was going to say is that I think our generation is the crossover generation to the um, undo button generations. <laughs> because now you have you can because I don't I, I if you do it by hand, there's no undo button. Yeah. But yeah. everything else on digital. You know, you can technically click undo, and uh, oh, it'll undo my that last mistake, so I won't ever progress with it, and maybe have to figure out how to change it to make it work. Yeah, which is where you get a lot of new things come from ah. in visual things. I don't know. That's an interesting. I don't know if that's profound, or I've just discovered. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to coin that term: the undo generations, undo button generations. I love it, man. Well, speaking of TM Ben Tablesmith. <laughs> Well, speaking of, you know, the, the artists going independent with, uh, with image and stuff, what's the deal with artist elite comics? That, that thing that you're doing. Well, I guess some marketing works then. Cause you're asking me. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a group of artists who I don't really know, uh, in person or anything very well. I know a couple online, but, um, some of them are very rather big artists, bigger than me. Mm -hmm. um, but we all have our style, I would I would say. And um, it's just sort of a catch-all sort of project to, for us to do our own thing a bit and uh, put it all out in a in a kind of an anthology format to begin with. Okay. So every we can expose more people who might like one of us to all of us sort mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we own, we'll own what we do each and it can have its own life elsewhere. So nice. I will hopefully collect mine into a, a full comic myself, but it'll be episodic within what artists elite do. And it'll be like a, a thing they have to, I might be in stores. I'm not sure. So the, the guy who's doing all the logistics, you can order direct through them, but he'll probably work with retailers as well. So it'll get in stores, but yeah, it's a sort of like a collective, I would say. Cool. I wouldn't say we are image per se or anything, but like, the ideas behind it are pretty similar in a sense, mm -hmm. but in, in, in the, within the new age of just like to get attention is very tough these days. So yeah, we are all doing it together. It helps a lot. So, I mean, cause distribution is distribution. You can, I do it myself. So you don't need huge publishers anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But you do need eyes and an audience. So yeah, no, that's the hardest part about everything. I mean, the, the access that we have as artists to, to viewers, to fans, to, you know, consumers is great, but it is a giant fucking ocean. <laughs> and you're trying to get as much as attention as you possibly can as you're floating in this fucking ocean full of content. Um, well, it's like it's an ocean of minnows, and then there's a few continents, which are the gigantic corporations, which have all of the property that everyone's ever heard of that's of <laughs> note that they – I'm not going to say strip mine, but uh, yeah. they'll keep it going for another 50 years. Everyone knows who, knows who Spider-Man is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't have a publicity problem with that. So yeah. they have an audience no matter what, generationally. Yeah. So everyone else is just trying to create a new thing that's like, oh, look at me. Yeah. So and it's fascinating. We do what we can. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's fascinating how adverse 
uh, a lot of uh, fans and viewers are to new stuff. They're very timid to look at something new and very timid to sort of peek into uh, a new character and a new idea. And uh, I, I, I hear people bitching about it all the time with movies where they're like, you know, how come there's so many fucking remakes? And it's like, cause you go see them. <laughs> like, it's just, it's that simple. Yeah, they, it's the, you follow the money. Yeah. It's, it's uh, they're going to be risk. Big money's at stake. They're going to be risk adverse and they're going to go for what they, the, the one thing I don't understand half the time is where they take a known property, a name, you know, that's got a name. Yep. At least it's some older people. And then they, they do it again or relaunch it or whatever you want, and it's completely different. Well, then why didn't you just call it a different thing? But because the name is familiarity in it, yeah, bring some people in. And then they all bitch about how it's not like the old one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember because one of the things I loved about a lot of the big companies for the comic books was that there was the just years and years of legend. So like if you jumped in, when I jumped into like Spider-Man when I was a kid, I think it was like 300 and something. It was issue 300 and change. And so mm -hmm. I jumped in and there were just crates and crates of old issues and old lineage that I could just sort of go through and hunt for, which I really liked. And then there hit a point in comic books years later where they were sort of allergic to keeping an on-running number. All of a sudden, those books had to be number one again. And now it's a number one issue for year two, number one again. And and I, I think I heard a quote from someone saying that people were just scared to pick up a book that was too far along in the numbers so that uh, they just started fucking rebooting it every year at that point. So does that make any sense to well, you? It's less of that and more that an issue one is what sells a lot of copies. An issue two, uh, then tanks, usually. Uh, will, well, like, normally in comics, an issue one will sell X amount, whatever it is, especially if it's, say, Spider-Man. That'll be huge. Yeah. Well, used to be huge because now every second comic is an issue one, so they're <laughs> running into this problem in their business model. But then issue two is like half those numbers. Issue three is half again. Issue By the time you get to issue four or five or six, you've got some sort of stable numbers of the readers who've stuck with it mm -hmm. who aren't just looking as a collectible or something like that. So the whole business of model of comics is insane and it's only speeding up in, in the, in the, in the journey for a quick cash grab, really. Uh, that's what you're seeing with all the reboots. Yeah. So I got very sad when, you know, getting rid of issue 355, that's the last issue. Now it's another new number one. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause you do lose all that sense of history, but, but also the whole history of a lot of those characters that are like 80 years old is like, it gets very complicated and it it's hard to write new stories when there's already 80 years worth of yeah. continuity backing yeah. it up. So, I mean, I, I'm very curious to, to see where the Marvel universe is going to go because they've got so much going on already yeah. from the past and they have to follow through and, Actors age. That's the other thing. So they can't do it like the comics. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of change whether they like it or not. Oh, and contracts get more expensive, don't they? So yeah. No, that's a big even thing. Even if the actor isn't that terribly old. Well, and then they've but they've they've creatively integrated in the multiverse stuff, which will just make it very simple for them. <laughs> so that yeah, that, that's a good workaround, I guess. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, your yeah. contract, your contracts are a little okay. Well, we'll just go to the other universe and we'll create a whole new Peter Parker in the other universe. And then yeah, I just wonder when people. I mean, I mean, I don't think Star Trek really ran into it. However many Star Trek films there've been, but. When you get to the, the 20th or 30th film in the franchise, it's hard to, it's hard to be new. 
yeah. as new as you. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's going to get tough at some point. It yeah, it um, totally it totally is. And there's this, I, I don't know, like there's this level of of neat when you're whenever you're creating sequels or whenever you're rebooting this character people attach themselves to like really specific details and detail oriented things like uh you know like a specific car that a guy drives or a specific thing and then they 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 have to cram all that into it and a good example of this is like uh the rebooting of like the terminator franchise and and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and yeah i should have used that one as an example yeah 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 like I was excited when uh, they were going to do the future Terminator stuff because I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. That's a whole universe yeah. that was like super exciting when we watched the movies initially. Um, but but then they kept playing back to the same sort of like character tropes and they felt like they had to play into that game more. Whereas I've always been a big fan, and I'm sure you are too, I've always been a big fan of the small stories that happen within those universes. And so, yeah. like the idea of just focusing on a very small personal story a- a- amongst side characters or amongst something that happens within that universe appeals to me more than having to like find the Linda Hamilton character, make sure she's wearing like yeah. a like a a sleeveless tank top, and give her. A, you know what I mean? Like it's this weird sort of visual continuity that a lot of these franchises feel like they need to co- stay consistent, and it's like they, they don't fucking need that. It's just. The universe building and the world building that you've done so well, a la like Star Wars. Uh, I was going to say the Mandalorian versus the main yeah, last trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, man, hundred percent. Yeah, one I did not care for, but the Mandalorian. Yeah, you can tell a smaller story and have it be enthralling. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm sure it leads into a bigger story anyway, but. Oh but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that worked. They'll find that definitely worked. They'll find some way. I mean, my only beef with the Mandalorian was that I wanted it to be Bubba Fett. That was my big beef with it. And now they're doing the Bubba Fett series. So that'll be the new one that comes out. But yeah, fucking, I, I like- yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too, dude. Like, uh, I like playing around in these little worlds. And I always, if I had an opportunity to do a Terminator movie, I would do a movie centered around whoever was sent out to capture in the future the first Terminator that yes. they sent back in time. Yes, how did that first – yes. How do you There's capture these, it? Yeah. See, when you create a really good movie or IP of any kind and it has such a, a, a large world that people are really interested in, mm-hmm. I don't understand. They neglect – they leave money on the table by not just exploring the rest of the world yep. and the other story, the little stories that came from things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I would watch the hell out of that movie. I liked Dark Fate for the record and they kind of tried to reset the whole thing there with a new future, but uh, – yeah. Yeah, no, I would watch the hell out of that. You make that movie, please. Yeah. Well, there's two movies. That one I would make. And then if I had another franchise that I would play with, I would do Predator. But I would do Predator. I'd rip Seven Samurai and I would do uh, No Humans, which would never get made. No Humans in the movie. <laughs> it just Predators uh, trapped on a situation where they have to survive sort of like an alien invasion, like that kind of thing, Seven Samurai style. With no subtitles, just creatures on screen interacting and doing things, pretty much a silent movie. <laughs> yeah, or like or like a young predator on his first hunt with a few other predators on like the planet, a planet with where they've set up the Xenos the way they seem to have done or something. Yeah, and you just follow the one, and you like root for the predator, the yeah. young predator to make it through. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but you can it's like actual storytelling. But yeah. I'm jealous because you can, be a great you can do that in story. You can do that in comic books more than you can do that in film. 
Like that's really, I think the thing I love about comic books is that I guess the cost of doing it, even though they're still expensive to make, the cost of doing it is so much less. So the risk is a little bit more down. And so then you, I could see you doing a book like that, like simply just following what these characters and having a whole book with no fucking dialogue would be amazing. Yeah, it'd mostly be a silent book. Yeah. Except for a few gurgles and uh, sound effects. But I mean, this is something that I learned, and I, th- I thought about this when I did 12KM, because I did a movie in a language that I don't speak. And so mm-hmm. m- the big portion of me for making that movie was telling the story visually through body language mm-hmm. and everything else, because I wanted you to understand the movie without reading the subtitles. And the subtitles would be additional to that. And th- that's where, the, in my mind, that is the truest form of visual storytelling, is telling a story through body language, through intent, through the way someone looks at something, through the way that they, they react to, th- to things, um, well, it that's becomes the gen- so clean. The general rule, isn't it? In that, if you can tell a story where people can't speak the language or have any dialogue, like in, in a comic, and you can bring people along with it, then you've got a successful story, no matter what. Yeah, and that's otherwise you kind of fail. Yeah, if you need fancy dialogue to explain everything. But it, it, well, I mean, if you're calling that a failure, then there's so many fucking failures that are made out these days because the, the movies are so reliant upon, or even TV series more so, are so reliant upon like useless dialogue and exposition scenes where you're just like, why am I fucking watching you talk about the scene I just saw? Hey, remember when we just opened the movie? Yes, I know. I just saw that. Can you guys give us something new? Can you show us something new? Make something. Let me see it. That's always uh, my big then beef. You, then you're getting into the argument that maybe people are the audiences are needing either needing to be or at least they are being spoon fed a little too much these days That's instead true. of let, letting there be a mystery or letting you work it out for yourself sort of thing maybe yeah. i don't know i mean that was the movies that that obviously you loved growing up as well as i did like you know the the end of the thing what happens next i don't know let's see yeah. here and see what happens and you're like fuck yeah <laughs> yeah super cool and we, we and we no one sought to explain oh well, anything about that spaceship before it crash landed either. Cause there's no need. We, well, I mean, it would be interesting, but it'll be a totally different film. Yeah. yeah. We like the mystery. It was like, okay. Just crash landed here. Now let's deal with it. Yeah. 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 That's what makes it fun. And especially when you start tackling horror and you start getting into that horror genre, cause you're very much in that horror genre and that, and that sort of stuff. It's, it's really about building that suspense and not telling you all these answers and trying to make it feel like, like it would if if suddenly I'm sitting here having this conversation with you and someone came bursting through the fucking front door with a shotgun. I don't know where he comes from. I don't know what his fucking childhood was. He's not going to sit there and give me exposition like, I had a really shitty day. My wife left me and then start shooting at me. Like I'm I'm going to live that experience out, you know? Yeah. yeah less is more sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, dude, how are we doing on time? Oh, man, we're doing all right. Um. This is fun. It's been a while since I've been able to gab it up with you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that sounds kinky. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go as long and hard as you want. To say <laughs> um, Please don't edit that out. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, so, you know, how are things going with, uh, with the, you know, self-publishing and all that stuff? How's that, how's that world been for you? Uh, I've been mostly independent since 2015 where I just do my own thing on a, on a thing called Patreon, mm-hmm. but it's called the squid army, mm-hmm. uh, the squid actually. I just got that working. Um, 
uh, yeah, I just make make uh, books for a select group of hardcore fans that's, who allow me to make them. That's awesome. Uh, they get their own copies. I sell a few extras uh, for more monies um, to the regular people, maybe, yeah. uh, and at conventions and things. But yeah, so I've I've got like a um, a backlist now of a bunch of completed stories that um, the wider world is yet to see. So. As of this morning, apparently I just uh, put up a promo video for collecting one of them uh, for the first time. So, so we will see how that goes next month. That's great. But, uh, and then hopefully after that, because I'll make that one myself too, but it'll be a collection like, like a hardcover. And um, hopefully I have more of that to come. But then um, after that, because the wide world still hasn't seen it, give it to a publisher to publish his regular comics. Nice. Uh, and then they don't, they don't have to worry about anything because it's all done. I don't have to worry about anything because it's all done. Yep. And any money it makes is free money. Yeah, it's <laughs> Not free money, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the payoff of the hard work. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. It's not like I'm getting, I'm not getting rich uh, doing things, working only for my own fan club. But uh, no, it's, it's really nice and empowering to, to do your own thing and not be told what to do. And just to, oh, I ask them what I should do sometimes. Yep. And, um, yeah. I get to do what I want. But I still, I still take jobs here and there. So I just did a DC thing. So I got to draw Superman for the first and probably only time, if they have any sense, um, <laughs> in the DC universe. Uh huh. That's so like cool. Money to me, money just buys freedom. So if I do a money job, it just buys me the freedom to do what I want on my own stuff. So and pay the bills. Nice. That's no, really nice. Nice. I, I, I would not want to go back to having a regular. Oh, do this, do that. Yeah, yeah. I like doing things on well. I will work with writers who are friends sometimes, but uh, generally speaking, I like doing my own thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Are you, if uh, I am working with a writer, then like, fine, you tell me exactly what you want. I'll do it. Nice. There's no in between. I won't fight them. It's their vision, not mine. How are you? Are you stacked up at this point? You must have like a big backlog of stuff that you're trying to get through and get out at this point. Uh, well, I have a few projects I need to collect now, but I also, which will be work anyway, but, um, yeah, I'm always doing like two or three projects at that one time. So I have at least three things I need to do at the same time beginning next year. So that'll be fun. What's your, uh, do you have um, like a regiment? Do you have like a schedule for yourself to, to sort of keep yourself on time? Do you have like a daily routine that you do? Or are you just, I'm feeling like <laughs> drawing up, today. <laughs> wake up by midday, uh, <laughs> drink Red Bull, drink coffee, nice. sit, work, uh, sometime around six or seven or eight, maybe nine. Uh, oh, I should eat. Uh, <laughs> yep. All the wife tells me, you know, oh, we should eat. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, do a bit more until like 4 a.m. and then uh, do it all again. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You must be. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm not killing myself doing it, although sometimes I am because I have to get work done. But, but yeah, yeah. No, it's like uh, I work to my own rhythm. Oh, nice. That's good. I'm not a morning person. I, I am enjoying being a morning person somewhat now because the time zone changes, but yeah. Nice, man. Well, I would assume looking at your, looking at the tone of your stories that you would be a night, night owl. That makes sense to me. Generally a night owl. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Um, well, dude, I think we should wrap this up. This was, this has been fucking great. It has been so nice to hear your voice. It's been so nice to interact. It's been too fucking long since we've talked, dude. Um, I miss your I miss your smoky voice. I forgot how uh, smoky it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's mostly because I I grew up as a like uh, with allergies and asthma as a kid, so I've got like that old wheeze in my laugh. 
Um, no, it sounds good on audio, though. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just to do it does, it does. You don't have like a squeaky voice. It sounds good. You have a, and I don't mean anything about your your you facially. You have a voice for radio. <laughs> I'm it's, just it's my, therapeutic. My voice is meant to seduce older men. That's pretty much what I'm doing with it. Um, but I appreciate that. I don't know if I'm older, but yeah, you have yeah. done. Oh yes. no, just my whole audience base. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Worked on me, though. Well, dude, it's been great chatting with you. Um, I will have good to chat, man. All, all the links for your stuff in the description of uh, this episode. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug right now? Is there anything specific you want to plug? Uh, well, uh, the project called Original Hate is coming next month. Nice. Uh, and the, you can sign up for pre-orders now at originalhate.com. <laughs> nice. Because I go. think I've got the tech working on the redirect of the URL. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, my, uh, my club, my little club where I make everything mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. is, uh, the squid So I like making things easy, hopefully. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I just do my merry thing. <laughs> well, I'm happy. Oh, I do. I do. I will, I will say I'm doing a, a comic next year with a guy named Bill Harms. Ooh. Who is uh, he's a story writer for games. Usually, he did Mafia Three and a few other things. Mm -hmm. um, he wow, he won a few awards. He's won a BAFTA. Hey, um, I think he's won a BAFTA. He was nominated. Um, yeah, we're doing a Cthulhu esque Lovecraftian horror comic next year too. Not sure where that one will will end up at this point, but it'll be called Dead Empty Stars. Oh, cool, man. Very cool. Well, I'm happy that you're still at it. I am happy that your work is existing still, and then I could read it. And uh, thanks for I'm coming. We're all alive. Yeah, Thank man. You. Fuck yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming. I would say that in the, during the with the pandemic going on, it's like, yeah, I'm glad we're all still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly. There it is. Today's episode in the can. Um, I've <laughs> that was a great episode. If it, like, hopefully it wasn't too casual because Ben and I just you know we have like this unspoken thing where i feel like like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's most of the episode but there's a lot to be to learn from what ben does there's a lot to be shared as far as uh, i thought the most profound piece of this episode was talking about mistakes and talking about the power of mistakes and how those mistakes define our style and i get that question so often from listeners on this show how do you build your own personal style how do you design your look how do you figure out what your aesthetic is going to be? And I say the same thing. So it was nice to hear it from Ben because that was unprovoked. It was nice to hear him say like, hey, accidents and accidents and you trying to recreate those accidents and trying to, you know, pivot from those accidents. And that becomes your style. And it's completely apparent that he's afraid of changing the way he does his sketching because he doesn't want to lose those accidents, which apparently have been such an influence on his work. And to lose that process, which develops those accidents and creates those accidents and then requires him to try to make it into something, you know, the cult, the undo culture that he talked about. It's crazy. And, 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 and having that history, like if you're working in Photoshop, like I do, you've got that history. So you can always go back. It's a sense of safety. You can always go back in the history. So let me fuck around with this and this and this and this and this. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's just delete that. Blah, 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 blah. It's definitely a different working environment. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but like he said, it's the difference between shooting film and digital. When you're shooting film, sure, they both 
look a specific way. I think they both will fool audiences. It does make a difference. Um, but there is a process that comes with doing stuff that has long-lasting results. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, the difference between shooting a DSLR and shooting, like, a roll of, you know, what is it, 36? Is that how many are on a roll these days? Is it 25, 24, 36? A film. When you know you only got a couple shots in there, everything means something. Okay, we're going to get ready to do this. You guys ready to take the shot? Last looks. Come on in. Check the hair. Check the makeup. Check all that stuff. Okay, can everybody just stay out of the thing? Okay, you ready? You ready? Okay, so just practice your pose a couple times. Practice. Ah, I think you should look over here. I think you should look this way. I think you should look that way. Okay, great. Can we move that light a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shape it around them. Okay, great. great, great. See how much time it took? And that's a fast forward. And click. Right? Then you take the shot. So all that attention is at its peak when you're shooting film. Right? As opposed to digital, where you're like, snap, how's this look? Snap, snap, snap. I don't know. Snap. Ah, move your head this way. Snap, 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 snap. Right? Snap, 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 snap. And then you end up with like, what? You know, 4,000, 5,000 images that you're sorting through in the back end? 5,000 images. 5,000 images that mean nothing. That will mean nothing. They're duplicates. Don't you hate that if you shoot like digital photo, like photography, those of you listening? And you just look through your Lightroom, you know, your fucking, your raw files. And you're just like, there are 400 images of all the same. Somehow that is cheap in the actual image to me. I, that's why when I'm choosing uh, my images that are digitally shot, I, I pick whatever first one I see that I like. Done. Don't you want to go through all the other? No. Every time I look at another image, it just waters down my initial reaction on the first one. I do not want that. That's just my dumb process. So I get it. I get the idea of making sure that you're respecting the restrictions. You're respecting that process that finds mistakes, finds the, 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 the beauty in mistakes. And that could be uh, as simple as, you know, still drawing on paper or shooting film um, or uh, allowing yourself to be open to improv on set allowing yourself um, to not only plan out your days, but give yourself time to fuck around. Because it's in those mistakes that we find the beautiful things. It's in those mistakes that we will be noted for after we're dead. I think it's important to think about that stuff. Happy we had the show. If that is the only thing that you get from today's episode, I'm happy you got it. But uh, I hope you guys love Ben as much as I do. It's been years, like I said, since we've hung out, and I just can't wait to hang out with him again. Ben, I know you're going to listen to this episode. I'm not fucking around, dude. Get your ass up here to LA. Beers, food, hangout time. I'm in. All right. And everybody else, I hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for sticking around. I am so happy that you came today to this conversation. We're going to have plenty more as we push our way into the new year. Uh, lots of really grass, lots of really great guests on the way. And uh, that's it, man. Obviously, I'm getting tired. My voice is, is feeling it. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And as always, I'll see you on next Tuesday. Oh!